Thank you for downloading this sermon from Christ the Word Church. If you would like more information on how Christ the Word is reaching, raising, and teaching generations in Northwest Ohio and Southeast Michigan, please visit us online at ChristTheWord.com. Would you stand with me and turn with, your Bible, with me and your Bibles to Matthew, Matthew 27? where we'll be looking together at 11 through verse 26. Now Jesus stood before the governor and the governor questioned him saying, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, you yourself say it. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he did not answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? And he did not answer him with regard to even a single charge, so the governor marveled greatly. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And at that time, they were holding a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the people gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that because of envy, they had delivered him over. And while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message saying, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. The governor answered and said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil did he do? But they were crying out all the more, saying, let him be crucified. Now when Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. And all the people answered and said, his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas for them, But after having Jesus scourged, he delivered him over to be crucified. The word of the Lord. Let's ask God. Would you raise your hands with me and ask God to be with his word? Father, empower your word. May my lips be true to it. May our hearts be drawn to it. And Father, may you cause us to know the work of the Holy Spirit in our midst as we look at it together. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. We have in the, in the man who is before us in this passage, and really it's Pilate that's before us uh, more than Christ in these verses, the picture of a man, a man in full, the man in, in completeness. In some respects, an ideal man, a man of power, a man of, of, of discernment, a man of distinction. And thus he serves as a very good example of what man can be and do at his best. This morning we, we look at Pilate and we are struck by the man. He says, and I'm going to be gathering portions from other gospels about this man and about these events. And so 
am not going to limit myself to Matthew, but there are certain things that are told by other gospels at this point that I think bear upon this man, and therefore I'm going to bring them into this, our time together. But as we look at this man, it, it becomes very clear that, that, he is, that he is distinct from the people who bring Jesus to him, that he's distinct from Herod, that he is a different breed of man. And yet we see what that breed of man is capable at, of, of accomplishing at the end. And I say this because I think everyone in his heart thinks he's a different breed. We all grow up in the pride of our life, in the pride of our, of, of our flesh, thinking that we're different. We are somehow more capable, more discerning, better. I, I've had a number of friends who say, you know, I'm just better at this, certain things. I remember a friend who said, I'm 50% more discerning than the average person. <laughs> and he actually was more discerning, you know, but we all think we're, we're special. We all think that we have the ability to see and to judge. This man certainly was special in many ways. More specialer than you. <laughs> and yet, he needs something that he doesn't have. And he goes down because of it. Some years ago, we as a congregation left our denomination, and it may be that you think that the reason we left our denomination was because of certain sins that that, that denomination was weakening on, and that really was only the window dressing of the issue. The real issue, the true issue that was at the center of that departure was the nature of the new birth. What happens when we're born again? Is there something radical and dramatic? Or is the new birth something that we control, done under our power? Now, of course, we were part of a denomination that said that God is sovereign, God chooses us, God does the work of salvation. But at certain points, that theology fell by the wayside because what was said is, well, yes, God does this, God is this. But when it comes to us, and our lives and our nature, once we come to God, well, we can't really expect too much of him. And I think that this is the battle of your life and mine. It's not just the battle that we had with our, our, with our denomination, but it's the battle that all of us face. Is the new birth, is the walk of the Christian with God, knowing God, something that we can do on our own? Or is it beyond our ability and a great work of a, of a sovereign and loving God. And so we turn to Pilate as an example of what man is capable of. Because really, Pilate is specialer than you. If you're 50% more discerning than the average bear, Pilate's 75% more discerning. He really is that way. So Pilate says of Jesus, as he brings him out to the crowd, and we know from Luke that Pilate brought him out before the crowd a number of times. Luke includes a number more uh, presentations of Christ done by Pilate with the hope that the crowd would say, ah, forget it, you can have him, we'll take Barabbas for the crucifixion. And after scourging Jesus, 
Pilate brought him out and said in Latin, ecce homo, which means behold the man. Look at him. He's bleeding. He's abused. He's been humiliated. Now aren't you satisfied? Behold the man. And I say to you this morning, ecce homo, but not about, not about Christ, about Pilate, the one who originally said it and who's famous for saying it. Behold the man. Look at him. We have a man here who is um, a Roman procurator. He, um, he is the ruler of the region of Palestine that's at the center where Jerusalem is found. Herod the Great once ruled the whole of, of, of what was once Israel, united Israel, the northern and southern kingdoms and beyond. Uh, he died, he's the Herod of the Christmas story He's the Herod who sought to kill the babies and killed the babies around Bethlehem. He had three sons who were, had the kingdom divvied up between them once he died. One was Archelaus, who was at the center, Bethlehem, Jerusalem, and he was the one who Joseph heard was reigning in his father's stead and so went to Nazareth because Archelaus was in Jerusalem. Archelaus was, after six years, replaced by a Roman procurator. The regions to the north of him and to the east of him were ruled by Herod Antipas and Herod Philip, two of the surviving brothers. Antipas killed John the Baptist and Philip ruled the area north and east of Galilee. Antipas um, was not the, uh, was in Jerusalem at the time that Jesus was on trial but was not the, the governor of Jerusalem at that time. He was in Jerusalem, but he had made his kingdom centered in a city that he had built called Tiberias. And that's why it's sometimes called Lake Tiberias. It was on the Sea of Galilee up north. So I want you to consider this man, Pilate, who is the successor to, I believe, several procurators who followed Archelaus, who was only there as king of that central portion for six years. He is a man who is, who is famous, probably even more famous than the Roman Caesar at that time. More known today because of the Apostles' Creed, which says Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. Very few of you can probably name the, the Caesar who was reigning in Rome at that point. I gave his name. I don't think I identified why. His name is Tiberius, and that's why this Herod Antipas named his capital Tiberius. It's like naming it Washington after Washington. He named it after the, 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 the Roman Caesar who had raised him to power. Tiberius, but Tiberius is not as famous as Pilate. Tiberius, Pilate was a provincial governor Tiberius reigned over the entire empire, but Pilate is the one who's known today. I just want to say to you, as an aside at the beginning, that there are no little people with God. Who would ever think that Pilate, the governor, the procurator of that region of central Palestine, would be infinitely more famous than the Caesar? His deeds better known, his life more remembered than Caesar. There are no little people with God. 
You don't know your place. You don't know your role in the providence of God and God's working in this world. You don't know what God's going to do with you. And if you disdain and think your life is small and inconsequential, well, you don't know God. And you will certainly not be fit for a starring role. God takes Mary, this humble woman, and raises her up. And she becomes the most famous woman, maybe other than Eve, in the history of mankind. Just this insignificant little woman as she saw herself. God takes David from from watching the flocks and raises him to be the king of kings, the king from whom comes the great king. This God who knows no little people made you and appointed you towards an end that you don't know. And you must not look on that role or that calling that God has appointed for you as though it's minor, inconsequential. It is fraught with meaning. It is as consequential as any man's or woman's on earth. And if you disdain this and you say, no, then you're not, you don't understand the nature of God. You're going to fall short. You're going to look at the famous and the beautiful and the powerful and think, well, they're the significant ones. You may even envy them, their wealth, their happiness. And you may think your hard path is not one of consequence and importance. You may even think it's blighted. But God is God, and you are not. And God has a purpose for you. And you must rise up from what you can see with your eyes to have eyes of faith to understand that there are no little people with God. So that you achieve his glorious plans and end for your life. Now, turning back to Pilate, this, this man who becomes more significant in the history of the world than Caesar. I want us first to consider his, his agency, his power, his ability to act on his own. This man may be a Roman procurator, a ruler of one of Rome's far-flung provinces, but he wields the authority of the emperor who reigns in Rome and who appointed him. In Jerusalem, in the city of David, in all of central Palestine, Pilate is the hand and mind of the emperor. Procurators were, began to be appointed by Roman emperors, beginning probably with Julius Caesar. I don't know when they were first appointed, but they were usually taken from what was known as Rome's equestrian class. It was the second highest class in the Roman hierarchy. The highest was, of course, the senatorial from which the, the kings, the emperors, were chosen. They were on a par with the king, at least according to theory in the Roman Republic, and therefore they would not serve as the king's appointees in far-flung lands. They were the equal with him, and they weren't going to become his servants. But the equestrian class called that because they were members of the cavalry, kind of knights, the equestrian class was just a step below the senatorial class, and therefore the procurators were normally taken from that still elite group. So we suspect that Pilate was a member by birth of the, of the equestrian class. He is appointed as the Roman emperors 
did at his time and did for years afterwards. He's appointed to govern things in the stead of the emperor. There were procurators over the treasury. There were procurators over the water supply for Rome and food. There were procurators of regions. There were about 120 in the far-flung empire, 120 procurators. This is this man. He is the supreme law in this city. The, the chief priests and the elders can't put Jesus to death. Herod can't do it. Pilate sends Jesus to Herod, realizing that Jesus was born and raised in Galilee, but it's more a favor, a courtesy, because he's the one who is in charge in this region, and the trial's going to take place, and he's going to be the judge. So when they send this man, the high priests and the, the elders, when they send Jesus to Pilate seeking his execution, they must present to Pilate charges that would be worthy of being uh, penalized with execution, a capital offense, charges worthy of being deemed a capital offense in the eyes of Rome. He doesn't really care about their religion. He has, to, he has some pressure upon him to, to find peace and to not stir things up. But religious claims are not going to suffice to put Jesus to death. So what they do when they send Jesus to to Pilate is to style him a political rebel who claims an earthly kingdom and an earthly monarchy. This charge, they think, will excite Pilate to act. Jesus is seditious. He is a rebel. He's claiming to be the king, and there's only one king, and that's the, the Caesar in Rome. Now, Pilate wields life and death power over the, this region. He's as powerful as Caesar himself in this region. He must justify his actions to Caesar, yet he wields an iron hand, reigning in the stead of Caesar as a Roman procurator. He can say live, and the accused will live. He can say die, and that's it. There is no final court of appeal, unless you're a Roman citizen, and then you can appeal to the emperor. The only restraint bearing directly on him is Caesar's pleasure or displeasure. He can do what he wants. He can act as he wishes so long as Caesar is served. And he is not required to seek permission to act. He can act and then report. He doesn't have to seek permission. He's allowed to do what he wants. He then reports on it. He must justify himself, but he can act without permission. No man in all the events surrounding Christ's betrayal and death is more free to act and more powerful than Pilate. No one. This is why the Apostles' Creed says he suffered under Pontius Pilate because in the end it was Pontius Pilate who had control. What he says will happen, what he commands will be done. He has freedom, full power, full authority, full agency, which means the ability to make up his own mind and to act as he wants in every conceivable direction. Of course, there are pressures. Every authority, even Caesar, has pressures. There are fears, there are the people, there are all kinds of pressures. Pilate faces them as well, but his will is supreme. His will is going to be done in Jerusalem. His will is going to be done with Christ. No one and nothing forces his hand here. He is a free man, possessing full authority to act. It is his choice and his alone. He will determine the course with Christ. 
He can release Christ rather than Barabbas if he wishes. He can do it and no one can stop him. No one can force him. He is utterly free in this situation. That is the power of this man. More powerful than you or I. He is supreme in this region of the world. If any man can act with full freedom, it is Pilate. All right? So, behold the man, consider his freedom. Consider his power. Second, consider his knowledge. What does Pilate know? And I'd like to address a couple things negatively and then go on to what he knows positively. Negatively, he sees in verses 12 and 14 that Jesus will not answer the Jewish leaders, nor even Pilate himself. He refuses to answer the charges. What does this mean? Well, it's a wonder to Pilate. Why is it a wonder? Because it's, it's a statement, you know? Jesus is saying, you don't have this authority. I don't answer to you. His silence is a rebuke. It's a statement. You've seen people act like that. They go, this is what Jesus is doing. He's making a, a very strong statement that their authority over him is nothing. That he's there, but he's not there. That they're authorities, but they're not authorities. That it's his will, not their charges, that have him there. Understand? Second, verse 18, Christ, he knows, has been delivered over to him for execution out of envy on the part of the chief priests and others. This is a discerning man. He understands very well why they brought Jesus to him, why they brought these charges, what they're about, and why they are making the charges against him that they have made. All right? He knows these things. He knows Jesus is not answerable. He knows that the charges are trumped up and a product of envy. What does Pilate know positively about this man who's before him? Well, to begin with, the envy of the chief priests and the elders of the people tells him a lot. It immediately legitimizes Christ, doesn't it? If you see all the government in in Washington envying someone, you go, whoa, that person is bigger than they are. So Pilate understands that envy drives these people, which makes Christ big in his eyes, right? It ennobles Christ that these, these leaders of the Jews are envious and willing to try and kill him. They're so envious. I mean, it makes Jesus big, right? He's kind of legendary already because all the chief people want to kill him. They hate him so badly. They're willing to lie. They're willing to trump up charges. They're willing to do whatever it takes to kill him. And he becomes this, this legendary character just by that alone. He's like Joan of Arc, something like that. You know, trumped up charges, so powerful that we'll do anything to kill her. And so it's a, a sure sign that there is something going on with Christ that, that is spectacular, that there is something there that, that they don't possess because they're envious. And it's proof of, it's, 
additional proof of the second thing that Pilate already knows. And that is that Jesus has been preaching and teaching with authority. And that the people have been responding to his authority. He's heard of the triumphal entry. No one in Jerusalem was unaware of that parade through the center of the city. He knows about it. He knows that Jesus was praised, that he was magnified and glorified in the triumphal entry. Knows that, as, but he knows as well beyond that, that behind the authority of Christ and behind the envy of the chief priests are a series of acts, not just teaching. The teaching is the key thing. But there is also the signs that Jesus has done that have been established by God as evidence of his teaching's truth. And the, the latest and most significant of those and the one that has caused the chief priests and the elders of the people to despair, so they say, oh, we can't do anything. The whole world's gone over to him. Who can stand against this man now? Was a few weeks before his raising Lazarus from the dead. Everyone in the city knows about it. Everyone knows that Jesus raised a dead man. Everyone. They've been hearing stories all along about him making the blind to see, causing the lame to walk, giving, giving relief from leprosy to lepers, all sorts of miracles, and then he's raising the dead. And they go, okay, we can't do this. Pilate knows these things. Okay, so he knows the power of Christ, the authority of Christ. He knows it. He knows the envy of the leaders. In addition, we're told in our passage that Pilate's wife sends him urgent word in the midst of the trial. Now, this is clearly a woman of, of quality. Consider for a moment how different Pilate is than Herod. Pilate is in Jerusalem. Herod's there as well. Pilate sends Jesus to Herod. Herod Antipas, who's there in Jerusalem, is the man whose wife was Herodias and who demanded that he put John the Baptist to death and when she got her chance, asked for his head on a platter. Herod and Herodias are vile, right? <laughs> Absolutely vile. But this is a woman of quality. He married a woman of dignity and quality. And God graces her with a dream in the night, as the Bible says he does at times, to warn her. And she sends word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. Now, I want you to know something. What does she say? Have nothing to do with that righteous man, not that innocent man. It's a positive affirmation. It's not a statement that he's not guilty. It's a positive, that righteous man have nothing to do with that righteous man. Do not have anything to do with this trumped up court. These kangaroo court charges have nothing to do. He's righteous. He knows it. And it weighs on him. Knowing these things, Pilate knows further that Jesus claims to be a king, though not of a kingdom of this world. Paul writes to Timothy, in, and he says that Jesus, who made his good profession before Pilate, that good profession is his statement, you're right in understanding who I am. 
Jesus, he may seem to you an ambivalent, a, a kind of cum si, cum sa statement. You have said it. It's not how it is when he's asked, are you a king? Don't understand it that way. The Bible interprets the Bible. Paul says that Jesus made his good confession before Pilate. What does Jesus say? John tells us Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. It is not a denial of monarchy. It's not a denial of being a king. But my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be delivered over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Therefore, Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you yourself said I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. For this I have been born, and for this I came into the world. (laughs) Now, we would think that it was kind of bodacious claim if a guy were to stand up here and say, for this I was born, for this I came into the world, right? We'd say, what kind of a monster is the guy? What kind of an ego do we have before us? Or we'd say, He's claiming something that's beyond this world, an authority and a power, a calling. He's already said, my kingdom's not of this world. I am a king, but my kingdom is not of this world. For this, I was born. For this, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Pilate knows there's something in Jesus that's beyond this world. No one raises the dead. No one arises such hostility. No one says, I have come into the world on behalf of truth, unless he's something. Either he's a liar or he's something. Pilate knows further that Jesus has claimed to be the Son of God. So when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, when Jesus is brought before Pilate, they cried out saying, crucify, crucify. The Jews answered him. Uh, Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and by that law he ought to die because he made himself out to be the son of God. Therefore, the Bible tells us, when Pilate heard this statement, he became more afraid. Who's he afraid of? He's afraid of Jesus. He's afraid. He's even more afraid when Jesus is said to have told the people that he is the son of God. So Pilate enters the praetorium again and says to Jesus, where are you from? He's weighing us, where are you from? Now he knows where he's from, right? He sent him to Herod saying, well, 
This guy's from Galilee. You deal with him. You know, you really would like to have Herod take the responsibility off of him, but Herod's not going to give him that pleasure. So he asked Jesus, where are you from? It's not a simple question. It's a very profound question. Jesus gave him no answer. So put it together, you have the envy of the leaders. You have Jesus' power to raise the dead. You have the accusation that, may, that he made himself out to be the son of God. You have the warning from his wife that this is a righteous man. In a dream, she was warned. You have his innate authority in not answering. You have his claim to be a king, but not of a kingdom of this world. And what do you have? You have a scared pilot who has strong questions in his heart about the deity of Christ. His fear shows that he thinks it's possible. Now he has complete authority. He has full power to act as he will. And his knowledge is deep. J. Homo, look at him again. Look at him not in his knowledge or in his authority and power, but look at him in his conscience. Here is this man, wise, powerful, knowledgeable, discerning with a gracious wife and a wise woman at his side. He's everything that a man can be, everything that you desire. This is the man. Behold the man. A man at the pinnacle, full of knowledge, full of power, beyond that full of wisdom and loved by a wise woman. But consider him now in regard to his conscience. We've thought about his authority and power. We've thought about his knowledge. Now consider his own spiritual condition, his awareness of his standing before God. Knowing all this, having all this power, he washes his hands. Literally washes his hands and does the dirty deed. Literally washing his hands symbolically, metaphorically saying, it's on you, it's not on me. This is the man in his conscience. Earlier, Pilate asked Jesus, so you are a king. I read this already. Jesus answered, you yourself said, I am a king. For this I have been born and for this I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? What is truth? It's regarded as a cynical statement. What's the truth? He's not a postmodern man. That's not Pilate. This is not cynicism. This is, this is, I think, quite clearly the statement of a man who's caught twixt in tween, who sees Jesus, who understands the baying of the crowd, who understands that it's going to go to Rome that it is, if he sets him free. He knows the truth about Jesus so he tries again and again to set him free. He honors the truth. This man is more convinced that there is a truth than anyone else in this raid. But he's going, what is the truth? Like, I'm bound, man. And so in the end, though he has full authority, full knowledge, and a conscience that hates the act he's about to take, he washes his hands, and he delivers Christ over for execution. The truth is, Pilate, like you, is not a power, not a prince among men, but a slave. He cannot do but 
sin. It is impossible for him to turn away from sin. It is impossible for him to fight the fears that come at him. It is impossible for him to say, I'm going to take it upon me and I'm going to do the right thing and I'm going to honor the truth and set Christ free. He just doesn't have it in him. He's so frightened. He's so wary. He can't live as he should. That's one form of slavery. It's external. It's a compulsion. It's really in his mind. There's another much more internal compulsion and slavery that afflicts Pilate here. And that is that he is a born slave to sin. Jesus said earlier in his ministry, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. Slaves of sin do not get to choose righteousness. They can appreciate it. They can try for it. But in the end, they're slaves. And you and I are born slaves of sin. Paul writes, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am fleshly, having been sold into bondage under sin. We are born in sin. We don't just choose sin. Sin has chosen us. We have been sold in slavery to sin. We were sold by our father Adam. When Adam sinned, he sold his entire family to slavery. You may not like that truth. You may say, I don't, I don't appreciate that. I don't like having the thought that I'm held responsible for something that I didn't do myself. But you know very well that many, many of the people who entered slavery in Israel and throughout the world were people whose, whose parents sold them into slavery. You know that the... The widow of the prophet had borrowed money and the stipulation was that if she didn't repay it, her children would become slaves. They were going to be sold into slavery. You know that Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. Your father sold you into slavery. But you may say, I don't like that. I don't want that. I have freedom to choose my course And I choose righteousness. Certainly, Pilate would have said this. I have the ability. I can choose righteousness. So let's forget that you were sold by your father into slavery. Okay? Let's not blame him. You were born a sinner. In Israel, there was the ability of a slave who liked his master, who wanted to stay in the position he was in, Though he was born a free man and would return at the day of Jubilee back to being a free man, there was the ability to say, I want to be a perpetual slave. If if a Jewish man had sold himself into an indentured servanthood, wanted to be a perpetual slave because he liked his position, he liked his wife, he liked everything, didn't want to leave it, he would go and put his head against the frame of the door. The master would take an awl and and hammer it through his earlobe, taking out a chunk of the earlobe. There'd be a hole in his earlobe that would indicate that he was now a life slave. 
So let's forget what you were born as. Let's just consider what you've chosen. If you think you have the power to redeem yourself and to fight the sin that's at your heart and that you are capable of it, then why did you put your ear against the doorpost and let sin stick its hole through it? Why did you put your ear against the doorpost when you slept with the woman you didn't intend to marry? Why did you put your ear against the doorpost when you bitterly complained and envied your classmates in high school? Why do you keep putting your ear against the doorpost if you're a free agent and not a slave? You've chosen to put your ear there. You can't blame Adam for that. It's not his fault that you've chosen it. But then let's return to the inherited, the being sold into slavery. You think you're a free agent, then why have you infected, those of you who are parents, why have you infected your children with your sin? And if you say, I haven't, then I say to you, there's no one more blind here this morning than you. If you don't think you've taught your children to sin in specific ways, you have sold your children, yet you rebel against Adam selling you, No. Look at this man, Pilate. Lord of Jerusalem, full authority, full knowledge, a working conscience, but he sells himself to sin. He sells himself to slavery. Brothers and sisters, you are a slave to sin. And only the person of Jesus Christ and the blood of the Son of God can set you free from this. So note what happens here with Jesus before Pilate. Jesus, who is the eternal king, stands before an earthly governor charged as a criminal. Jesus, the eternal king, before a procurator of Rome, charged as a criminal. Why? so that you may one day stand before the king of kings as a son of your heavenly father. He is going to die so that you can be born again through his blood to eternal life. That's what's going on here. He is going willingly, absolutely willingly to his death as a king so that you can be born again. Now, I've said it's not in you to do it. And you may say, then what can I do? You can do what the Bible tells you to do, which is not to go out and say, I'm doing it, I'm a man, I'm a woman, I can accomplish it in my own, but to repent of your sin and to turn to Jesus Christ in faith and say, I need you, I need you, I need you. I have no hope but you, Jesus. The stronger, the more capable, and the wiser you are, unfortunately, the less likely you are to do that. It's no surprise that it's the thief on a cross who's being justly condemned to death who turns to Jesus and says, Lord, remember me. Who says to the other thief, we're getting what we deserve. 
God, give us faith. God, give us faith so that we are born again, so that we come up with Christ and have power over sin, so that we're set free from the illness, the deadly illness of sin, so that we become free men and free women rather than slaves to sin. It is only through faith in Jesus that this great miracle takes place. Let us pray.